0: And welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilkes and I'm joined by the Huddersfield Now to my Huddersfield three months ago. It's Justin Peach.
1: Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. It's been a very nice quiet weekend. I've not seen any live football though since the season started, so we're two weeks in. Haven't smelt any grass at all. It's it's quite sad. Well, uh, commentary apparently.
0: They haven't got any grass. It's just sand (laughs) at the moment and and caverns (laughs) under the pitch. On the show this week, we're joined by fans of two teams who many are tipping to go down, but are both celebrating wins this weekend. It's Paul Mann from the Reading Podcast, Elm Park Royals. Paul, how are you?
2: I'm good, good. Three points in the bag and played quite well.
0: Yeah, well, you can tell us more about that in a second. Making his second tier debut is Tommy Kelso from the Birmingham podcast Blues Focus. Tommy, are you well?
3: Yeah, I'm pretty much in the same boat as Paul. Actually, um, happy with the results and happy that we won it that we uh, on Friday
0: night It's very happy good indeed, stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. and well, welcome to the number one championship-specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're going to run through all the games in the championship from this past weekend, and then we'll talk about some of the news from the past few days, and then we'll finish off with Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight right at the end. So, Reading got their first win of the season by coming back from a goal down to beat Cardiff 2-1. Paul, how was the game?
2: I was... First 20 minutes, i got to say, the Cardiff were the better team. Definitely got him. Ridiculously easy goal from a set piece, stupid free kick, gave it away. But after that, after we scored the penalty, game changed completely. Cardiff were really poor. I, I didn't uh, see a lot of issues with them. I've seen a lot of people saying that they've improved from last season. The managers come in and they changed the way they played. Saw exactly pretty much the same as soon as they went to uh, 1-0 and then 2-1. A lot of crosses, but absolutely no quality. But Tom Mintz for us was fantastic. Brilliant goal. Shane Long, the return of the prodigal son, coming back, scoring on his return. Um, I felt so much pressure when he went up to take that penalty because I was thinking, if he misses this, this is such a bad place to be. But he didn't. So, yeah, really happy with the game. And considering all the players you've got out injured, decent start to the season.
0: Yeah, as you say, Shane Long scoring his first Reading goal in 11 years, but it was overshadowed a bit by a worldie from Tom Ince. We have seen glimpses of the Tom Ince of old in a Reading shirt, haven't we, Paul? How important do you think he'll be for the Royals this season compared to other players?
2: Oh, I think he's going to be a huge player for us if he can stay fit, especially as John Swift has left. He's that player that might be able to make a difference in games and score a goal when you don't expect it. Yesterday, a prime example. I mean, that is an absolute quality strike. You'll do well to find a better struck shot in the whole of the championship yesterday it was a bullet when you were there i was there live and just seeing it you're thinking that's going in and it did and that was like the great thing you get that one moment in football so yeah i i think the quality showed and the impact he can have on the team could be huge i just hope he stays fit because we are an absolute car crash for injuries uh, we yeah. just seem to love them well, he's not going to get dropped anytime
0: soon, is he? And quite the turnaround for Cardiff, isn't it, Justin? In going from beating the favourites for promotion on the opening day to losing to one of the favourites for relegation.
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I thought I just thought they came up against a different kind of opposition where Reading were happy to sacrifice the ball. They put a lot of onus on Cardiff and how they how effective they are in possession. Um, but unfortunately, it just didn't work out. As Paul mentioned, they just resorted to just putting the ball in the box after going behind or, uh, or running a equaliser as well. Um, I will say that uh, both well, Ryan Wintle, Sidric Kipre and, uh, and Collins at left-back were all very effective for Cardiff and probably one of the, the the better things to come out of that game. But yeah, it was much of the same of last season for Cardiff. And it's worth pointing out that Cardiff haven't improved. They've just changed the style of play. It's a point where they've, they've got to be improving they've got to be getting results and that's that's going to be a difficult thing for morrison as he faced different tests as the season goes on well as i say paul
0: reading are one of the favorites for relegation with the bookies before the season started how do you rate your
2: chances of staying up oh, touch and go touch and go i've got to be completely honest there <laughs> i mean for for me uh um, my number one objective is staying up um under no illusions that we're going to be making any playoff push or anything i mean i hope i'm totally wrong But we're just one or two injuries away from a real major, major issue. I mean, we haven't got Joe at the moment, so we're picking up the wins and we played okay. But yeah, for me, it's all about staying in the championship this season, because also if we stay up, we then have the golden opportunity of our owner being able to go absolutely crazy again because the embargo would have gone. So who knows? We might be back here again in two years time, but we can worry about that then.
0: Let's go to Birmingham. They got the first win of the season at home to Huddersfield, winning 2-1. What a performance this was from Blues, Tommy.
3: Absolutely. I'm very happy that we, um, we played in such a great way. I was quite surprised, really, because of the um, I don't know, perhaps lack of first-team players that we seem to have. Uh, we've sold a lot of the main players in the transfer window. Um, but since John Eustace has come in, he's done a great job. He's done a really good job in keeping us the ball and Creating us some chances and getting some of the players that perhaps wouldn't score those goals last season. Scott Hogan scored on the in the game on the Friday night, and um, as well as placetta who come in from Norwich, who was uh, rumored to be a bit on and off, but ever since he's come in, he's done really well. And um, I think the Friday night game was like a glimpse into the past, really, because we've had all sorts of issues on the with the business side of the club or whatever, and like in the ground being half closed as well. I think it was like. Good atmosphere for a half-closed stadium, and uh, yeah, and fantastic performance from the team, and particularly Janino Bacuna who ran rings around Huddersfield throughout the whole night, really.
0: Yeah, Bacuna was incredible. Maybe it's because he was playing against his old club, but that that was Janino Bacuna at his very best. It's been a rocky start for Huddersfield, hasn't it, Justin? Two performances so far where I haven't
1: been too impressed at all. Just very. Polite way of saying it, isn't it? Um, there are comparisons between Jan Seaward and Danny Schofield. I've seen that on Twitter, which is a, quite a bad indictment of, of Danny Schofield so far. Um, and I think if I was to be critical... I, I don't I don't know what's happening. I don't know if they're trying to sit deep. I don't know if they're trying to press. I don't know if they're trying to lump it or pass it. I really don't know the identity of this team yet. And to be at this point, I know it's only two games into season, but they have had a disrupted preseason, which isn't their fault. But to be at that point now, um, and to not really understand, I don't think Schofield knows his best 11 either. It's not great. It's not great. It's not a good start, but he needs time to still bed those ideas in. But how much time he gets, no idea. Tommy, it's John Eustace's
0: first full-time manager's job at this level. From the sounds of it, you sound quite impressed with how he's done so far.
3: Yeah, I don't know too much about too much. I knew that he was assistant with Mark Warburton last season at uh, QPR. Um, But I I didn't know much about his coaching record or whatever. But I know that um, from a couple of the interviews I've been watching on the uh, YouTube channel, Blues YouTube channel, um, the, the, the players just seem a bit more respectable for him over Bojo it seems Um, and I can understand them thinking that he's a better coach perhaps than Lee Bojo because I always thought that Bojo came in to sort of staple the ship we were absolutely awful under Karanka and he kept us up Um, so I think it was kind of the way it went really in the end that he got the sack and fell out with some of the players I don't think he was quite the coach that John Eustace has been so um yeah, I think he's just got them playing the football that all the players want to play, and um, keeping some of the big uh, big players in that dressing room happy, like Dini and um, Bakuna as well. I think they're just they're not like um, massively egotistical, but if they're upset, then they won't be playing at their best, which I think is something that he's um, keeping an eye on.
0: Yeah, well, despite the promising start, Tommy, it's hard to get too carried away with Birmingham considering everything that's going on mm. off the pitch. Uh, Justin and I will have a chat about that later on in the show. But from a fan perspective, Tommy, how, how is it knowing that the club's future behind the scenes is so up in the air right now?
3: Well, it's nervy, that's for sure. It's, um, it's a lack of clarity all the time. You know, it was never... We've never really been in the know with anything that has been going on behind the scenes. Uh, even when the stands were first closed, you know, it was we'd get it up. They, they, they were promising us that they'd um, have it fixed within the next couple of games and it'd be back open. Uh, it was like a temporary problem. And then there's all sorts of lies and excuses that have come out since then. Like it, there's an asbestos issue under the stands. There's, there's like a weight issue with the amount of people on that lower tier who could cause it to... More damage to it, and then I don't know. Fans are trying to fill in the gaps where things don't quite make sense and try and make it make it make sense for themselves. But I don't know that it's that's the horrible thing. It's like it's not like um, Brighton's owners who came out and just said everything what was going on at the club for us. It's literally been like we don't know what's going on at all, it could be anything. Um, But I think. It's just the thing, it's like there's never like anything you can talk about because you don't know if it's 100% true or not.
0: Yeah, there's,
3: a, there's certainly a, a lot of
0: he said, she said mm. going on about Birmingham's takeover at the moment, isn't there? Paul and Tommy, thank you for now. We'll come back to you both later to play Simon Grayson's Hate for Late. In the meantime, it's time for Justin and I to head around the grounds and we'll begin with the team who are top of the table. It's Blackburn. They made it two wins from two by beating Swansea 3-0. Rovers fan Ryan Hildred is joining us now. Ryan, what a start for John Dale thomason
4: Yeah, it's been a fantastic start for us, hasn't it? And um, I think when Tony Mowbray left, we were just hoping for that breath of fresh air, a new manager, new ideas and all of that. And certainly John Dale thomason has brought that um, just with his energy, his enthusiasm, the way that he talks about the game. And, you know we have got a really small squad, so it's it's vital that tactically and and the things that we're doing on the pitch are, are really executed well, and and that's what it was yesterday, like the first game of the season against QPR, uh, worked really hard um, off the ball. Obviously Swansea had a lot of possession, but. We did well to frustrate them. Um, Swansea haven't made many chances in the first half in particular. And when Rovers have had their chances, with broke really well. Um, Ryan Hedges, again, absolutely fantastic in that kind of number 10 position. And, you know, bodies breaking forward to, to go and punish Swansea when we did get our chances. So, thoroughly enjoyable away day um, and a brilliant, brilliant start to the season, yeah.
0: Yeah, has there been a noticeable difference in the style of play under Dole Thomason?
4: I think there's two big differences um the first is definitely the intensity and the work rate i mean qpr on that first game of the season in particular um there were two players at the end of the game callum Britton and sam gallagher that literally just collapsed to their knees because of the work rate that they put in so high intensity high press when we haven't got the ball that is definitely a noticeable difference and then the other thing is a really fluid forward four so we play the two wide strikers still uh, and then someone in a false nine and a number 10 position but they're not fixed into those positions so they're all, always rotating they're always moving they're always causing different problems and yeah, you're likely to see Brereton Diaz hang out to the left and you're likely to see Ryan Hedges in a number 10. But certainly that fluidity in those forward four positions is really crucial. And then the midfield is obviously anchored by John Buckley and Lewis Travis, who just complement each other really well in there. And, and obviously Lewis Travis breaking forward and getting a couple of goals um in the first two games. So, yeah, the system looks really nice. But, yeah, it's just the squad depth. that's still the little niggle in the back of my mind.
0: So what are your expectations for Rovers this season? I'm guessing there isn't too much expectation from the general fan base, but what are you thinking?
4: Good feeling, expectation kind of the same, Um, you know, a season of transition. Um, Tony Mowbray was a big character for the club um, and obviously five years at a club is a long time. So we accepted it was going to be a season of transition. Lost three big players in particular, Daryl Lenehan and Joe Rothwell, you know, big players to replace. And yeah, we've obviously made a couple of great signings that have come right into the side and done well in Smodic and and Callum Britton. But we probably need two or three more bodies, um, certainly in the centre of defence. You know, Daniel Ayala, again, has started the season really well, but we know we're not going to get the full season out of him. So we need a couple of centre backs, I would say. Um, if we make those signings and if we possibly keep uh, Brereton Diaz or if we replace him, well, you know, anywhere from that kind of tenth to sixteenth position is is where I'm thinking. So, if you want the optimistic version, maybe top half finish is what we could go for without really pushing playoffs. Um, if not, you know, just kind of hanging in that mid table without really ever being in danger of relegation or anything like that.
0: Cheers, Ryan. Justin, at the start of the season, if you ask people who would be top of the championship and top goalscorer after two games, I'm not sure many people would have said Blackburn and Lewis Travis, but here we are. What a start for Rovers.
1: Yeah, it's been brilliant, hasn't it? I think, yeah, as you say, I don't think many would have expected um, a start as clinical as this, shall we say. I think... The only criticism you could have of of the start under Thompson so far is probably not creating too many chances, but it's still very early days, isn't it? But they are they are solid, they are keeping clean sheets, they are keeping opposition out as we as we saw um this week with Swansea. A very good Swansea side as well. I know Kaminsky was, was fairly busy, but um the way the way Blackburn sort of got back into their shape and were able to counter-attack and exploit Swansea's high line um, and, and commitment to play um, yeah very high up the pitch. I thought it was very effective and really, really, um, yeah, a good, a good watch. And as you say, they, they both their time, got their goals and got three points to so 3-0 went away from home. What, what more can you ask for?
0: Yeah, going back to what you were saying, people may hear the 3-0 scoreline and think it was a dominant performance, but it wasn't really. They had five shots and scored from three of them. Um, But Ben Barrington-Diaz got one of those goals, very nicely taken, very much like the Diaz we all know and love. So that's a promising sign at the very least. The thing that's really impressed me about them is how defensively sound they've been. They haven't considered a goal yet. Some people may say, so what, it's only two games. But it's the context around that. Out of all the teams who have played two games, they've got the lowest expected goals against them and have faced the second fewest shots. And you've got to keep in mind they've lost their best defender in the summer in Dara Lanahan. Ryan Ambeys were gone as well. This is all topped off with the fact they've got a new manager who's never coached in this country before. So a really promising start. I won't by any means be getting carried away and be tipping them for big things after just two games. But it's certainly a good start to life under Darl Thomason, without a doubt. As I was alluding to a second ago, Justin, I don't think Swansea were actually that bad, considering they lost 3-0. But at the end of the day, it's a 3-0 loss at home against the team. Many people aren't expecting big things from this season.
1: No, it will look worse than it is. And obviously, a lot of people would have tipped Swansea to finish quite high. So I imagine expectations of Swansea fans would be you know, a, a better than a 3 score on this early on in the season, to to be very very blunt about it. Um, yes, or speaking of blunt, they'll blunt in front of goal. I think that's the thing that let them down. Um, in terms of passes as well, they, they, they dominate large periods of the game, or they dominate large periods of the game without really doing too much. If you look at the amount of passes that Swansea made compared to Blackburn, Blackburn completed just 292, Swansea 708. So it is that same issue that can come into Russell Martin's teams where they will pass, 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 pass without really being too effective. So I think it's just a case of trying to find that balance between not being overly passy to being more clinical in their attacking play.
0: They're being very passive. I think it's it sounds a bit old-fashioned when you say, oh, they're trying to walk the ball into the net. But at times it does feel like that with Swansea doesn't it? They are the definition of a team trying to walk into the back of the net and when you've got two players like Obafemi and Pirro, I don't think you really need to be doing it that much. Sure it's difficult to break teams down when they've got so many players behind the ball, but they need to try and find that cutting edge that we had concerns about at the beginning of the season, didn't we? About that cutting edge and it needs to make more of an appearance in the next few games To be fair, Swansea started badly last season didn't Mm -hmm. they it may take a bit of time for everything to click together and when they click together it might be very good but only time will tell won't it qpr three middles per two qpr were three nil up after 40 minutes before Borough managed to claw two back england's hero at the women's euros chloe kelly was presented on the pitch before the game she's a big qpr fan and she would have liked what she saw here wouldn't she well the first 40 minutes anyway because i imagine she was a bit nervous for the rest of it Chris Willock scored an absolute worldie, He picked up the ball well in his own half, carried it 30 yards from the opposition goal before producing a wonderful strike into the top corner. Justin, what a goal that was.
1: Yeah, I think we were saying last week that just about goal of the season contenders and how many more they'd be over the course of the season and lo and behold, we get one the, the, the week after. It was it really was a worldie. It really was a goal of the season contender because not only does he evade... The cynical, tactical attempt to bring him down by Isaiah Jones. But he also holds off, I can't remember who was closing him down, but he holds him off and he keeps his balance. And not only does he keep his balance, but he then pulls off the shot he pulls off. It it really was a tremendous strike from a talented player who we love and I'm sure we will love uh, over the course of the season even more.
0: Yeah, he's playing on the right wing here, which... We saw him more playing centrally last season, so whether this is Michael Beale's attempt to try and fit everyone into the same lineup, I'm not too sure, but we'll see. Uh, this really was a chalk and cheese kind of thing, wasn't it, compared to the loss on the opening day? Lyndon Dyke's got the sh- score sheet as well, so that'll be a massive confidence booster for him, but overall, really, really good from QPR. Not a great day at the office for Borough, though. The loss, Darren Lenehan being sent off, new signings, Zach Stefan making a proper mess of the second qpr goal
1: they also spurned some really good chances not great justin was it no it wasn't it was um it was one of those games where i wouldn't say they imploded but it it was it was on along along the same lines wasn't it where the goals they conceded were very much incredibly avoidable you you talk about stefan and being at fault for one of the goals obviously flapped at one of them and then i think it was it might might have been the second one actually where the ball just Dribbles into that really weak header. Um, I think it's from Dykes and Stefan dives so late. You um, may have seen it late or not, but yeah, it was a really yeah sketchy performance from from um, Zach Stefan. Doesn't really fill you with confidence, but I think the um, the positive you can take from it is the second half performance was was a lot better. They almost got back into the game. Obviously, Crook scoring uh, in the first half helped, um, and you know, potentially a dubious offside call, maybe maybe not. Um, they could have, they could have found themselves with an equaliser. So, there were positives to take. I think another one you can say is they gifted QPR two of the goals.
0: Yeah, it's um, we have got to remember this isn't Borough at their at their finest, is it? They're not the finished article yet. We can expect to see a stronger Borough time in a month's time because Chris Wilder will be certainly hoping that their starting eleven looks very different in a month's time Padding McNair is coming back from injury he shouldn't be too far away from the team now I think he came off the bench actually in this game they want another centre-half in two Jacob Greaves has been mentioned from Hull which would be a really impressive signing from Middlesbrough a forward-thinking centre-mid has been talked about as well to replace Tavernier and they're, they're on about getting at least two or three strikers um, coming through the door as well Matthew Hoppy uh, is supposedly close to coming in from germany so that's going to be interesting it was a bad day at the office but look marcus force got on the score sheet that's good it's a sign of the poting instincts that he can bring to this team so no need to even consider panicking just yet i think it was just a bad day at the office also zach stefan maybe a cause for concern early on because this wasn't a great performance and at, there, there was that cross in the West Brom game as well wasn't there Justin where he made a brilliant save but at the same time I think that was mainly down to him being miles off his line and nearly <laughs> being caught out by it so yeah I, I'm not completely convinced by Zach Stefan yet but he could end up being a really really good sign it's only two games that we've seen so far Wigan managed to grind out a 1-0 draw away at Norwich I thought Wigan were brilliant here Justin
1: they were, the game went exactly how I thought it'd go. Wigan were, were set nicely in a structure. They gave Norwich well allowed Norwich all of the ball. Um and when Norwich got into sort of dangerous areas, Wigan were were quite wise and um yeah, we were, were, were very solid. As I say, the game went exactly how I thought it'd go. Wigan were incredibly hard working throughout the game, um, and the chance came from you know sort of forcing the forcing the the error and, and capitalising on the mistake, and it was a really good finish by James McLean and then from there I thought they were very comfortable I thought they were very comfortable up until um, Gianulis picked up his injury Um, and that that sort of switched Norwich into a gear that um, allowed them to get the equaliser just a couple of minutes later so had it not been for that stoppage I think Wigan would have seen the game out
0: Yeah they got in Norwich's faces defended actually I I thought Curtis' tilt was dominant at the back Mm. Uh, Jason Kerr was great as well the midfield worked their socks off it just seems like They were willing to put their bodies on the line for a point and that's going to be their main factor, I think, in what decides whether they stay up this season or not because they're not going to be as talented as the vast majority of teams in the Championship this season. I think that's just accepted, but as long as they want it more than other teams, then they'll cause plenty of teams' problems this season. Liam Richardson will be delighted with with this result. Many people aren't tipping Wigan for great things, some have even tipped them to go down, but opposition teams will know that they have to work hard to get something from it because mm-hmm. we're gonna work as hard, more often than not, even harder. So that's gonna be the main um the main positive for them over the season, isn't it? That they're gonna work their yeah. bloody socks off. And this was a great example of that. There was a penalty shout for Norwich in this game. Tom Naylor going in on Max Aarons. Penalty or no penalty for you, Justin Peach?
1: You see it the first time, I don't think it's a penalty but if it goes to VAR, it gets overruled and it, it's a penalty. I think it's just excessive force carries him through the ball and into um, into Max Irons. Tom Naylor again, probably on review of VAR, may have been red-carded as well. So it's just one of them where he's slightly over-exuberant in the tackle but I don't think it's as disgraceful a challenge as both Todd Campbell and Max Irons have, have voiced. I understand that it could have been dangerous but yeah, football's a contact sport for starters. Unfortunately, you know injuries can happen, but at the end of the day, it yeah it didn't to be to be very blunt. Yeah, Max Aaron was able to to get up and walk away from it, and um, the decision wasn't given. It's it wasn't as yeah controversial, I think, as as many made out to be.
0: Yeah, I get what you're saying because it's quite obvious Naylor was going for the ball wasn't he and mm-hmm. from memory, I think the only reason he's gone into Aaron's shin is because his foot's gone over the ball. If you yeah. see what I mean. Um, so, when, in, when I saw it in real time, I thought, no penalty. When I saw the replay, I thought, mm, okay. The more I think about it, the more I think it probably is a penalty. But it's a tough mm-hmm. decision for the referee to make in real time, isn't it? Because you clearly see the ball go flying away and you say, well, he's got the ball. Um, and I think it's even more telling how difficult a decision it is that when we put the question out on Twitter and said, is this a penalty? The reply's <laughs> about 50-50. Mm-hmm. So, I think it probably is a penalty, I don't think it's a red card by any means, if there is any suggestions of that. But it's not the most outrageous decision we'll see this season by any means. So, yeah, I'm not really too fussed either way. Whatever the case, Norwich still waiting for a win. To be fair, they were better than they were against Cardiff a week ago. Marcelo, Marcelo, why do I struggle with this guy's name so much? Marcelino Nunes made his debut. He had some promising moments. He loves having a shot at goal, I can tell you that for sure. And um, Thoroughly enjoyed Max Aaron scoring, running off to the race supporters and very visibly <laughs> shouting at them fuck off. Um, whatever the case Justin, this is undeniably a game Norwich should be winning shouldn't they? And if they're going to get promoted then when you're playing a team who have just been promoted from League 1 then you'd want to be getting three points from that game, shouldn't you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You look at the quality of the squads and the budgets. Yes, Norwich should be winning but as, as you mentioned with Wigan, hard work goes a long way into getting results in this league. Um, and not to discredit any of the hard work Norwich put in, but they had a lot of the ball and they struggled to turn that into possession. Um, Norwich were very effective under Daniel Farker in in being a counter-pressing team, turning possession over, getting Buendia on the ball as quickly as possible and playing Puky in behind. That was effective for two two seasons in the in the Championship. Now it's more of a possession-based team they might struggle a little bit to adapt to that um, that style of play because yeah, Norwich may have had a lot of the ball under Farker, but it was a quick tempo. It was very pedestrian at times um, against Wigan. They were very slow in possession. They got into really good territories, but they just didn't create high enough quality chances. And unfortunately, that might hinder them going forwards. They need. They, I still think they need to sign a creative player um, because they are lacking that link between the final third and the middle third.
0: Well, you mentioned them having more at the ball. They were so sloppy in in possession, weren't they? And that's ultimately where the Wigan goal came from. And after that, when Norwich scored, aside from that goal, they didn't really create anything in in the way of serious chances, did they, from memory? So that's worrying. Of course, Wigan defended brilliantly. But when you've got so many quality players like Norwich do, I think they should be at least... If they went in there and mm-hmm. created some great chances, but they just couldn't put him in the back of the net, I'd kind of understand it. But that wasn't really the case, was it? Maybe Gabriel Sara, when he is fully, you know, in the first team. That may change, but we'll have to wait and see, won't we? Justin, let's have a quick break. After that, we'll talk about Sunderland's win at Bristol City and Sheffield United beating Millwall. back to the second tier podcast at Ashton Gate it was Bristol City v Sunderland. Sunderland were winning then Bristol City were winning but the Sunderland took the lead again to win 3-2. It was a great game Justin in front of a sold-out crowd as well. The biggest attendance for a Bristol City game in more than 40 years. Not sure the Bristol City contingent would have been too happy with this though.
1: Yeah I, I can understand why because again Bristol City are just constantly punching themselves in the groin aren't they because that's they are a living embodiment of frustration um, because we're two games into the new season and they've already dropped six points from winning positions I know things aren't as cut and dry as teams take the lead and hold on to it um, but six points dropped from winning positions this season two games in it's not great and um, they're still a, they're a very good attacking side. They are a very good attacking side. You look at Alex Scott in this formation, for example, really good at just picking the ball up, getting into good areas and running at, um, running at Sunderland's teams. And I think it was uh, he created a chance for Chris Martin doing that. Um, and again, the partnership between Andy Weiman and, and Chris Martin was very active. Once again, Chris Martin could have equalised late on in the game, but they give themselves too much work to do by being so sloppy defensively. Um, and as I say, it's just constantly punching themselves in the groin moments because that's all they continue to do while they try and play the ball out from the back. Cal Naismith, league's best defender this season, hasn't really looked at that level yet. Um, whether being in the middle of a back three is is the right place for him to be the centre of that back three, I don't know, but he's a good ball-playing defender, but he didn't like it today. But that's credit to Ellis Sims and Ross Stewart as well, who were really good at pressing, um, pressing Bristol City into mistakes because three goals Bristol City conceded were all avoidable.
0: Well, we'll get on to Sunderland in a sec, but for Bristol City, it is a case of old habits die hard, isn't it? And this goes back to what I was saying before the season started. I'm by no means declaring that I was right about Bristol City, but of course, there's a long way to go in the season. But I had my concerns about Nigel Pearson. And when a team consistently loses points from winning positions, even despite a change in the playing personnel, You've got to ask, whose fault is this? And it's got to be the manager's fault, Justin. Bristol City lost 35 points from winning positions last season. This season, they've lost six from two games already. They've conceded more goals in two games than any other team in the division. So it's the same problems from last season which have carried over. And sure, it's a small sample size. But how much longer can you continue with the same mistakes happening again and again and not expect anything different to happen? It's purely frustrating from a Bristol City perspective um, and I'm not surprised that there were boos after this game from the performance because you know sold out sold out a Bristol City um, crowd you'd have thought that would motivate the players but obviously not the case and they just let the let the game fly away from them let's talk Sunderland Justin because Alice Sims scored two on his Sunderland debut both very well taken I thought he was exceptional
1: yeah, he was. He fitted in really nicely. And again, I think we were we were sort of wondering whether or not he'd be a backup option to Ross Stewart or he'll be the foil. But again, the chances that he scored were created by himself. He's, he's, he's a very willing runner. He's a very high-pressing forward um, and an excellent addition alongside Ross Stewart because Ross Stewart's a very good finisher. If you get him in the right areas, he'll put the ball in the back of the net. Um, I know he didn't at times against Coventry last season, or he didn't at all against Coventry last week. But... Um, It's a very good partnership and it's one that I'm excited to to see evolve over the season because when you think about the spine of their team, Daniel Bollard, Dan Neal, Alex Pritchard, that is a slick spine of passing through the thirds, isn't it? Um, So those two are going to get plenty of chances and you had Jack Clark into mix. I thought it was very good in this game. Again, we had doubts, but he's impressed me over the last two games, but you had Jack Clark into that mix and there's a lot of creativity running through this team.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I thought Sims was... I just could not get over how impressive he was because he wasn't a massive goal scorer at um Blackpool when I saw him most a couple of seasons ago and by you only have to look at his goal record in hearts but well, I didn't see too much of him but it's not an incredible goal record but here he looked like a deadly finisher and with the lot mess drugbro alongside him and and him scoring the other goal. I, I'm very excited to see how those two click over the course of the season, because it could be one of the most brutal partnerships the Championship has to offer. But I've watched both of Sunderland's games so far. I've been really, really impressed with them. They play some good football and certainly look more than capable of competing at this level, which you you might think isn't too surprising with it being Sunderland, but we are talking about a promoted team, aren't we? A team that got promoted mm-hmm. from the playoffs, for crying out loud. So, yeah, really, really good from them. Alex Pritchard deserves a mention too. He was really good in this game. He's creating so many chances for the front men. So, really, really positive for Sunderland. Sheffield United bounced back from their opening day defeat at Watford by beating Millwall 2-0. Really classy from Sheffield United. Defensively, they were great. By and large, kept Millwall at arm's length. Arnel Ahmed Dozovic, I've I've pronounced his name (laughs) so uh, a different time every time he's been mentioned on the podcast, Justin, but he had a great debut. Iliman Ndayi took his goal really well. Sander Berger, monumental Justin. He's the one I wanted to highlight here, Justin. Paul Heckingbottom has been determined to keep him and showed why he's so important to them here, didn't he?
1: Yeah, there was a lot missing in last week's performance against Watford for Sander Berger that was present in this performance here he was driving forward his goal was a great example of um of, the, of his ability to just drive forward with the ball because he's a he's a physical specimen at this level um to be to be very uh to be very descriptive of him um and he's a frightening player when he's got the ball at his feet um and he's, he's a, a really really useful asset because he can be at number eight so he can start in and around that forward area but he can drop when sheffield United. retreat into defensive areas and make that midfield three alongside uh, Fleck and Norwood, a very, very compact three. Um, So it's something that will tactically work incredibly well for Sheffield United and it did did here. I know Millwall didn't create too much, but in possession he's effective Um, and as I say, he just adds that all-round number eight um, role, adds that all-round number eight role into that team perfectly. Something that we'd expect Tommy Doyle to come in and do once he's back fit.
0: Yeah, they've got plenty of options now, haven't they? <laughs> they've
1: got McAtee, who they've just brought in. They've got Doyle.
0: They've got Berger. Um, and they're just the you know kind of attacking midfield options that we're talking about. And then, of course, you've got the likes of Norwood and Fleck, who have been there for... Well, they're just part of the furniture now, aren't they? So mm-hmm. they've got plenty of midfield options now. And that's good, considering, of course, they're trying to make up for the gap that's been left by Morgan Gibbs-White. Sander Berger, really, was someone we haven't really taken too much into account when we were luxury look, yeah he's, he's kind of a luxury player isn't he and he was a bit touch and go whether he's staying or not looks more likely that he's going to stay now and that's a massive boost for Sheffield United because without a doubt he's an amazing player his quality in the second half of last season and seems to be finally finding his feet in the Sheffield United team and that's just Brilliant for them, isn't it? All round, Sheffield United were very good here. Really professional performance. Charlie Cresswell for Millwall went from hero to zero. Scored two a week ago, but then gave away Sheffield United second with a shocking back pass. I'm not really sure what he was trying to do. Um, Don't really know what you can say about Millwall here. Sheffield United are just a very good side, aren't they?
1: Yeah, they were beaten by the better team. They got themselves into good areas. Um, You think of the shots that they had. They had eight shots inside the area, so... We're just lacking that little bit of um, uh, clinical edge that you probably a lot of teams will have at this stage in the season. And as well as that, you, that's partly down to um, how organised and disciplined Sheffield United are defensively as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, you can also argue that maybe Jake Cooper was fouled in the uh, build-up to Iliman uh, Di's goal, but I just yeah, they're just beaten by the better side. Um, Sheffield United will be competing at the top. I can imagine Mill will be competing for the top six in some capacity. So it'll give them some 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 lessons, some harsh lessons, shall we say.
0: In the Stanley Matthews Derby, Stoke beat Blackpool 2 0. Stoke, very impressive here, possibly could have scored more. Harry Clark and Josh Brown both got on the score sheet. The brilliant Josh Tyman setting up both as far as crosses off the ball go. He's one of the best at this level, isn't he, Justin?
1: Yeah, he is. He was probably underrated a fair bit last season. That's partly down to how inconsistent Stoke were, but he was a standout performer. Um, and you can see why that he was linked with moves away in the summer. He's a, he's a very good all-round wing back and he's one that should have been given a chance a lot sooner than he did. Um, I think last season was probably his first full season as a, as a regular starter. And they got a lot out of him. He's a, a talented player and he sort of his delivery, especially for Jacob Brown's goals pinpoint. It was it was um, an exquisite delivery. Very good left foot and again not surprised to see him link with his way. Might be a struggle to keep hold of him uh, between now and the end of the transfer window.
0: Yeah, I quite like this Stoke team now. You look at the 11 on paper that played against Blackpool. It's very functional. Knits together nicely. Do you want me to tell you a secret, Justin?
1: Hmm. Oh, I like secrets. Go on then.
0: I've Sin this week that they've been linked with Matt Clark, who was at West Brom last season. Brilliant defender. Do Stoke need more centre halves? Don't think so, but I'm not going to complain if they get him in because he's a quality player. And I look at this squad that Stoke have, plus Matt Clark, plus Harry Souter and Nick Powell when they're back from injury. It's very good. I'm low key quite excited about Stoke. He's not got anything to do with the performances we've seen so far. The two have been very Jekyll and Hyde in that respect. But when you've got that eleven together, I struggle to see much of a weakness. And that is, of course, with the caveat that everyone's got to be there fighting fit, which has been a problem in recent years. But I'm not getting carried away because we know that we shouldn't do that with Stoke. But I'd certainly say to any non-Stoke fans that they're one to keep an eye on. That's all I'll say for now. Um, Blackpool, we're unlucky that Jerry 8 isn't about two inches taller. He had the best chance when a cross was fired in. They just couldn't get his head on that. Um, they played all right, though. They just had the moments, didn't they? It was just not one of their days, really, was it? Um, sexy Burnley v Luton ended in a 1-0 draw. Burnley dominated most of the game, but didn't really create many significant chances. And being honest, I thought Luton were fully deserving of a point.
1: Yeah, absolutely. This was um, this was exactly the type of test Vincent Company probably needed quite early on um, because I thought Luton were terrific defensively. You talk about possession, Bernie had 70% possession in the game, finished 1-1, which goes to show um, that you need to be more effective with the ball. And I think for large parts of the game, Luton didn't get them, didn't let them get anywhere near the box, I think, other than half chances. And there's a couple of half chances towards the end of the game. Ashley Barnes had one. But he didn't create too, anything too clear cut. Their goal came from a very, very good first-time hit from Josh Brownhill mm. on the edge of the area. Um, and as I say, it would be a very, very good lesson in in... Trying to, I'm trying to, trying to think of a way to phrase it, trying to push through against these really stubborn sides. Um, because I still think this Burnley side isn't anywhere near how it, how good it could be. And as you say, we saw a very good possession-based team against quite a passive team in Huddersfield last week. Same thing here against Luton, but Luton are in a much better position in Huddersfield. So they put up much more of a sterner test. So yeah, plenty of lessons there for Vincent Kutley in this game. Yeah, I 100% get what, you get what you're saying. That Huddersfield
0: game on the opening day isn't really going to tell us much about Burnley, is it? Because Huddersfield, judging from their first two games, have been pretty shit. Um, but Burnley uh, coming up against Luton, for example, who are one of the toughest teams to play against in the division, that's a more of a telling test, isn't it? Justin, you've currently got one egg in the Burnley going up basket. Do you wish to put any more in and possibly even take that egg out?
1: Like I said, this was a good test for Vincent Company, so depending on what happens next um, and depending on who, obviously who they're playing in the next few games and they come up against teams like this who will sit back and sit deep and make it very difficult if Burnie can get results against those teams I'll put my eggs in the, uh, the basket yeah I won't throw them in i say just placing them in just nice and carefully just placing them in because I'm not going to get too carried away with this Burnie team yet because Vincent Cupney needs more tests
0: interesting just noting that down one egg in the basket fine mid-table Preston nil Hall nil Preston really should have won this, dominated the game 20 shots to Hall 6. So it wasn't a boring 0-0 by any means, but it means Preston are yet to see a goal this season in either of their two games. Now, this Sunday afternoon, it was meant to be Coventry v Rotherham, but that game has been called off because of the quality of the pitch. It's been deemed unsafe and unplayable. It's been It's because the Coventry Building Society Arena has been used for rugby sevens matches at the Commonwealth Games, as well as music concerts over the summer. But, Justin, this must be the first time this has ever happened where a club's first championship home game has been called off because of the state of the pitch. That's when your pitch is meant to be at its best.
1: Yeah, it's infuriating and I really do feel for the Coventry City fans who should be flooding in um, flooding in to, to, to watch their team play the first home game of the season. Um, it's really disappointing. I think my disappointments lie mainly with... The Coventry hierarchy, could they have requested um, their first few games to be played away from home? They did it back in 2005, 2006 when the Rico Arena, as it was then, first opened. So maybe they could have put a request in to help ease the uh, the burden on the pitch. Um, but yeah, just just feel for Coventry fans. It's it's a massive disappointment at this stage in the season. Rotherham as well, I imagine they're going to get some sort of flashbacks to their postponement season couple of seasons ago when they were last in the Championship as well. So it's not ideal for either team. It's really, really frustrating.
0: It's embarrassing from a Coventry perspective, isn't it? The club chief exec even admitted it was to local radio. But the thing is, it's not their fault because no. they don't own the stadium. So it's up to Wasps, the rugby club, to make sure it's up to scratch. And that's clearly not the case. The pictures of the pitch are proof enough, aren't they? But by all accounts, it's full of divots and craters And also just covered in sand, it looks like it's basically a beach at the moment with bits of grass popping out the sides of it. It's really poor from wasps. Coventry are basically tenants of the stadium and wasps are the landlord. If this was your everyday situation where you're renting a flat, for example, and there's a big hole in the floor where the bath used to be, or one of your walls is dripping a suspicious red liquid, your landlord (laughs) would have to sort it out, otherwise they'd be in trouble, wouldn't they? So wasps... Need to pull the finger out because otherwise it could very well start impacting results for Coventry, and that's just not acceptable. When Coventry, I'm thinking right in saying, are paying for the privilege of paying at the Coventry Building Society Arena. So yeah, mm. really, really poor from Wasps. It's not not ideal at all. Um, a spokesperson for the arena, which is owned by Wasps, said it was unfortunate it had not been possible to prepare the pitch in time for the game. In a statement, they said Coventry were understandably keen to play at home despite the extremely short turnaround following the Commonwealth Games and Birmingham 2022 agreed to accommodate the request despite having an exclusive tenancy agreement until 14th of August. We are implementing an action plan to ensure the pitch is repaired and available as soon as possible. So we'll have to see about that. And the final game from this game week is a big one. West Brom v Watford. That's on Monday night. We'll discuss that in Thursday's episode. Now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. Let's begin with some transfers. Justin Maxwell Corney has left Burnley. He's been sold to West Ham for just over seventeen million. I thought for a brief moment he might actually stay, but similar to Dwight McNeil last week, it's not a huge surprise,
1: is it? No, quite disappointing. It would have been quite fun to see him in the Championship because he impressed me um, in the clips that I saw of him in the Premier League last season. Um, and yeah, it's not a surprise. Gives gives Burnley a bit more a bit more uh, cash to go and find some creative players because from a, a perspective you know, playing out wide they don't have many options they've got Goodmanson who's um who's been injured for a while um I know Scott Twine can play out there um so yeah they're just lacking options they need to they need to increase them I think the thing that disappointed me most about his transfer is um they didn't West Ham didn't recreate his um his badge pointing for his uh, announcement picture that was that was a, a sad sad moment very sad incredibly sad Burnley have signed
0: winger Manuel Benson from Royal Antwerp on a four-year deal, so kind of a like-for-like replacement, I suppose. Mm. Sheffield United have loaned-in midfielder James McAtee from Man City. The 19-year-old is very highly rated at the Yeti had and made six appearances for the first team last season, including some in the league. He's also the brother of John McAtee, who's just joined Luton Town. Um, Seems an exciting move, Justin.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He's very highly rated. There are a lot of teams linked with him to bring him in on loan. He's one of those players that is fairly highly regarded by Poet Guardiola, which is always a positive. And as you say, yeah, it adds that creative element into that Sheffield United forward line, which is looking frighteningly good at the moment. I'm really interested and intrigued to, to see it evolve throughout the season and how Heckingbottom gets the most out of them because he's got a lot of options now and these loan signings are never cheap either. Uh, so it'll be interesting, as I say, to see how he shoothorns these players into the team. Well, McAtee and Doyle in midfields, they could be remarkable together, (laughs) couldn't they? And this
0: may be a moment at the end of the season where we look back and say how good a signing that was. On the other hand, he might not be as effective as we think. Only time will tell, but when you're as highly rated as he is at Man City, I mean, any... Any teenager who's playing minutes in the Man City first team in the league has got to be a bloody good player, hasn't he? So Sheffield United are about to find out how bloody good a player he is. Norwich have signed Aaron Ramsey. Know that that one. He joins on loan from Villa. The 19-year-old midfielder is the brother of Jacob Ramsey. 15 games for Cheltenham last season. Dean Smith knows him
1: well. So must see something in him? Yeah, I've seen an amount of siblings being signed this transfer window and children of other footballers as well this is very much a family affair transfer window this summer, which mm. is quite quite interesting, but yeah, as you say, Dean Smith sees something in him, um, it'll be interesting to see how he develops, can he fill that creative hole that Norwich need, who knows, but yeah he can't really judge a young player, same with McAtee as well until they start playing games Cardiff continue their
0: summer transfer spree they've got in Keon Itete from Spurs on a permanent deal, 6 foot 4 striker, scored 9 goals last season on loan at Northampton and Cheltenham Cardiff needed a striker, didn't they? And he seems to be the answer.
1: Yeah, I like Atete. Again, one of his players I sign on my FM saves very often, and it's always a good indication. Um, but yeah, he's, he's got the physical attributes to to compete at this level. Obviously, if you're scoring goals as a youngster in Leagues 1 and 2, or league 2 in this case, um, you are going to be able to adapt, It's is whether or not he can be consistent enough. Um, and I think they've given him the number nine share, haven't they? Which is Quite a big uh, quite a big tell as to him being a first-team player this season. But I like this signing. Tottenham have put in a buyback clause as well, which shows that they, they rate him quite highly. So if he performs well, Cardiff will certainly get a wedge of money, which is a good place to be.
0: Well, Steve Morrison has said he sees him as a prospect for the future. He's got all the attributes to be a top striker. So how effective he'll be? Not too sure this season. And uh, maybe one where we look at it in a few years' time and go, that was a good move, but... I don't think the expectations for him should be too high for this season just yet. Blackpool have brought in 18-year-old midfielder Charlie Patino on loan from Arsenal. Have you heard the chant for him already, Justin?
1: I've heard a bit of it. I know the whole thing, but it's what uh, I saw the words as well. Very very very, very clever chant and um, for a very clever player very uh, creative <laughs> player yeah. it's
0: amazing that he's got a chanter he's not even played a minute for Blackpool <laughs> yeah. yet well he has now but, but when that chant the video of the chanter was put out he, he hadn't made an appearance yet but yeah very highly rated at Arsenal 18 years old so yeah I'm excited to see how he does Millwall signed ex-Birmingham goalkeeper Connell Truman on a deal until January I suppose he's going to be back up for Bartosz, Bielkowski in C4 the first half of the season, away from transfers and onto Birmingham's takeover, and it all seems to have gone to shit very quickly. I've swore a lot in this episode, I apologise. Neil Moxley of the Sunday People, who's done a brilliant job of covering the takeover, he posted a thread on Thursday, essentially saying the following... Paul Richardson and Maxi Lopez have exclusivity to take over the club, but neither has enough money to do the deal. So they're scrambling around to try and find more funds before the next deadline of mid-August, after already missing one deadline. The problem is they can't access the money, and that's why the deal hasn't been done now. The Daily Mail is reporting the takeover is being delayed because of concerns they might be being backed by Russian money. The FLO in the process of scrutinising the source of the funding after being tipped off that some of it may have been provided by Russian business interests in Cyprus. Whatever is actually happening with this, Justin, long and short of it is this. The whole thing stinks, doesn't it? And we had the whole Bassini fiasco before. Now we've got this and it doesn't sound any
1: better, does it? I mean, it sounds better than Bassini. Anything's better than Bassini to an extent. Um, Is it? But you've got to... i think i think so i mean well it's a it's a very a gray area i think but bassini is a charlatan so he's never going to come up with the money so in this case if they did come up with the money automatically puts them ahead of bassini it's yeah it's difficult um as the reports come out and as the weeks go on you become less convinced that these um potential owners are, are a, a, the real deal, shall we say? Um, and obviously, where their money comes from adds a lot of question marks. You, you can say the same about a lot of takeovers that have happened recently. It's um, it's disappointing and unfortunately, football's not as cut and dry anymore. Where a local businessman can't just own the club, which is a massive shame. But that's where the Premier League riches has taken football, which you know you can point the finger that way as well. Yeah, um, it's not convincing at all. We there were red um, red flags with Matt Sutherland being linked with the takeover, obviously coming as CEO if the takeover gets completed. More red flags are coming out as the weeks go. Yeah,
0: I don't think Birmingham fans should want this to go through. It seems like these guys aren't much better than the ones they've already got in. I know that nobody likes the owners at Birmingham right now. That's mm-hmm. completely understandable, but you shouldn't be, you know, trading in a bad hand for a hand that's arguably even worse from the sounds of it. Um it's, it's just sad, isn't it, that a big club like Birmingham are just at the mercy of any anyone who's got a, a decent amount of money in contacts to you know have even more backing like these guys have got who the takeover may very well go through, but judging from everything that we've heard so far, I, I don't think it should go through. And I hope the FL, if they do the proper you know scrutinizing of the whole situation, mm-hmm. They don't let it go through. Um, so, yeah, Birmingham need a takeover, but they shouldn't necessarily go to the wrong people. And by the sounds of it, the more we hear about these guys, I'm not too sure about it. So, yeah, a very tricky situation for Birmingham City and the fans to be put in right now. Sheffield United striker Ollie McBurney is set to go on trial after denying assault. It's alleged to have happened during the pitch invasion after the playoff semi-final against Forest back in May. The trial is due to start in December. Bristol City have condemned abuse directed towards women's team manager Lauren Smith during their men's game against Sunderland. She tweeted to say she was supporting Bristol City with the team today and was told women shouldn't be at the football, but in the kitchen. The men's team say we wholly condemn such abuse. This behaviour is unacceptable and will not be tolerated at Ashton Gate.
1: Pathetic, but not surprising, Justin. No, it's, there's always the, there's always individuals who will spoil... Um, the reputation of a wider fan base by, by idiotic comments. And it's a massive shame that it, it comes so soon after... Well, it's a massive shame that it comes at all, but so soon after what was uh, a very historic moment in, in English football. Um, it's a massive shame. And I you know, hope I hope the right thing's done in, in terms of banning the supporters or support that is that has made those comments from the club. I just don't get why you'd
0: make these comments in the first place. If, if yeah. you do think like that, then OK... I mean, you'll be left in the dark ages. But just keep it to yourself. And what you saying this kind of thing? It's not going to get your kids back from the divorce. So just keep your opinions to yourself. And okay, nothing. Just, just grow up. Quite frankly, that's it, isn't it. It's just, it's just pathetic for anyone to be saying this kind of thing at the football when they're just going there to support their team. So. Yeah, it just blows my mind that this is still happening. Um, Bristol City boss Nigel Pearson says referees should be given microphones like they do in Rugby Union. He says it would bring more transparency around refereeing. It comes after his side were on the wrong end of a bad decision against Hall last week. I'd like to have a conversation about this, Justin, but we're running out of time. So we'll go on to the polls. This is the part of the show where we talk, well, we give the listeners three questions on Twitter. So we want to get their thoughts on all things to do with the championship. So the first question I asked was this. Was the Norwich penalty claim a penalty? Justin?
1: Uh, yes on
0: reflection yes 49% of people said penalty 51% said no penalty that is honestly how <laughs> divisive that decision is which of these managers do you think will do the best job this season Michael Beale, John Doyle Thomason Ryan Lowe or John
1: Eustace I'm split between Ryan Lowe and Michael Beale because I think they have the better squads and they're in a better position to do it so I'll say Ryan Lowe because he's been there a bit
0: longer 41% of people said John Donald Thomason. 23% said Ryan Lowe. 22% said Michael Beale. 14% said John Eustace. I suppose John Eustace has got, you know, it depends what you count as a good job. Different expectations. Um, mm. Yeah, different expectations compared to the other three. And finally, cats or dogs? i have a dog, so dogs, absolutely. Yeah, I'm fully in the dog camp. 75% of people said dogs. 25% of people said cats. Right, now it's time for this.
2: Hi, Simon Grayson and Ed. <music>
0: Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show. Paul Mann from Elm Park Royals and Tommy Kelsall from Blues Focus. So I'm going to ask the boys here to name eight of a certain subject. All they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I would say name the eight highest scoring players who who played in the championship last season and Paul would say Mitrovic, that's one down and Tommy would say slanky that's another down but if Justin would say Jordan Hugo then he'd be out so what you need to do chaps is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated so last week we did the eight smallest stadiums in the championship this week I want you to name the eight biggest stadiums in the championship based on capacity I don't need you to name the stadium Um, you can just say the club if you really can't remember what it's called and just to remove any doubt we're going to ignore any overdue work that's being done at grounds which should give you a little hint about one stadium in particular. So, with that being <laughs> said, Tommy, do you want to name a one of the eight biggest stadiums in the championship?
3: Uh, the Stadium of Light. Would
0: that be one? That is. That's not the one I was expecting you to say, but there you go. <laughs> uh, the Stadium of Light, Sunderland, forty-nine thousand, the biggest in the championship So that's one down. You've got seven to go. Paul, you can go next. Uh, Sheffield United. Yes, Bramall Lane. It's had more than thirty-two thousand. That is the fourth biggest stadium in the championship. Justin?
1: You've got the Riverside.
0: Yep, absolutely. That is the second biggest stadium in, its biggest stadium in the championship, just under 35,000 at the home of Middlesbrough. Uh, Tommy, your go? Um, I've got Cardiff's ground. Cardiff Ground is correct. Just over thirty-three thousand, the third biggest stadium in the championship. So so far, gentlemen, you've got the four biggest stadiums. Now it's on to the next four. Paul, your go. Coventry. Yep, the Coventry Building Society Arena, slightly more than thirty-two thousand. Just in your
1: go. Free yeah, that's the one. I was that's the one I was going to go for. Um uh swans is like twenty thousand. i don't think that's up there i can't think of any teams now in the league oh god mine's gone blank pod, yeah awesome, absolutely tim pot isn't it um i'll go with the medeski 25
3: no no
0: The Medeski is not on there. What I usually do when I make this is make a list of the teams who are just missing out, but the Medeski is not even on that list. So that's how far off they are. Um, So Justin is out. That means it's down to Tommy and Paul. Tommy, your go? Uh, Would Ewood Park be on there? It absolutely would. Blackburn's home has a bit more than 31,000. So you're absolutely correct.
2: Paul, two remaining. Um... I don't think it's on there, but I'll go Carrow Road. Carrow
0: Road is 500 seats too small for this list. So you've just missed out. That means it's down to Tommy with two remaining. I thought I gave a massive hint at the start that one of them (laughs) them was having work done.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Well, um, well, I'll go for us, Blues. Have we got
0: 30,000, is it? Yes, just over thirty thousand. So 30, 000, that is yes. correct. That means, Tommy, there's one remaining. Can you name the last of the eight biggest stadiums in the championship?
3: Uh, trying to go through all the of all the grounds I went to last season. Would the would Wiggins ground be on there?
0: The DW Stadium is 2,000 seats off from yeah. being on this list. So you've just missed out, unfortunately. The stadium you were looking for was the Bet365 yeah. Stadium, which is just shy of 28,000. So unlucky, gents. It was close, but no cigar, unfortunately. Paul, you, you're you a bit of a veteran at this now. How How's your record at the Simon Grayson tape play? Like? Dreadful.
2: Absolutely dreadful. It's <laughs> an embarrassment weekend is ruined that's it it's all over <laughs> it's just standard procedure
0: into it the second
2: tier um well there you go
0: this has been the second tier podcast ladies and gentlemen thank you to our guests on the show this week paul mann from the reading podcast elm park royals thank you for your time today cheers it's been a pleasure lads and a solid debut by tommy Kelsall from the birmingham podcast blues focus tommy thank you for your time today
3: thank you very much guys I appreciate it coming on This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be
0: back again on Thursday to talk about Watford v. West Brom, as well as looking ahead to some of the big games in the Championship next weekend. But this has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And thank you for listening.